Well, I'd like us uh, to look at um, John chapter 21 tonight. I think I, I think we had somebody preach on this recently. I can't remember now, but it feels as if uh, somebody did preach on it not so long ago. But uh, you know, the thing about preaching is that uh, you can have one preacher preach on a certain way, on a certain text, on a certain chapter like this, and uh, another preacher comes along and he preaches something completely different. But it just tells us, doesn't it, that uh, there are so many facets that uh, in the scriptures, um, when you come to read and study them. You know, even when you look at um, this particular chapter, uh, I could think of several things that would come to mind immediately when you you look at this, you know, when you can think of uh, the ways in which we are to serve the Lord. You know, if we love the Lord, how do we serve the Lord? And uh, I think it's interesting to remind ourselves of Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and you remember these words in uh, chapter 30 and verse 1 to 3, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The whole point that Paul is emphasizing there is that love is to be central in the very heart and soul of the Christian. Everything that we do should be under the principle of love. And of course, if we offer our services to the Lord, then the the principle remains the same, doesn't it? It is because we love the Lord that we do these things. It's not for any enrichment of ourselves. It isn't for any betterment of ourselves. But it is because we love the Lord and we want to serve the Lord. And when you look at this particular chapter, in many ways we could say that there's a great emphasis upon this aspect of serving the Lord, the ways in which the Lord deals with uh, the, the Apostle Peter at this particular time. We can say like this, that he was driven back into this position, and what we have here is an exposure to us of what Jesus demands and expects of those who serve him, whether it be an apostle like the Apostle Peter, or whether it is somebody like you and I, you know, of no great significance in the church, no great importance. We're just, as it were, one of the cogs in the working church, aren't we? We're part of the body of Christ. God has given us certain gifts and abilities, and those gifts and abilities are to be used on behalf of the church. And so you find here that uh, the, the way in which Jesus comes and confronts Peter with the situation is that he wants to emphasize and press upon us the fact that we are to love the Lord in order that we might serve him properly. The the principle of love is essential in all our service to the Lord. But one of the things that you find here when the Lord starts to deal with Peter and, uh, you know, how the whole chapter starts to develop, you've got to think of Peter in this position that he was all adrift in his heart and in his soul at this particular time. Such was the situation. We read that this was the third time. We read it there in verse 14. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
This is the third experience that they were going to have. You remember the two other experiences were in that upper room where Jesus comes and appears to his disciples and the doors were locked and all of a sudden Jesus appears in the midst of them. And this is the third encounter that they were going to have with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And yet it is focusing primarily upon the Apostle Peter and I'd like us to focus upon him because it's one of those chapters that you can come to time and time again, isn't it? And you can feel the pathos that's in this particular chapter. You can feel that sense of emotion. You know, if we read it and we look at it and we analyze it, we can see and we can feel along with all of what is being spoken at this particular time. It comes home to us as a, almost like a hammer hitting us on the head, as it were, you know. The, the, the sense of dejection and rejection by the Apostle Peter and by the other disciples who were trying to bolster him up and they were all meeting together. They, they were to encounter Jesus, but first of all, they were encountering one another. They were gathered together by the Sea of Tiberias, we read in the opening verses here. And here they were, perhaps they were wondering, well, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? You know, we've seen the risen Lord. We, we don't know what exactly we're supposed to be doing, where we're supposed to be going, you know, what direction our lives should be taking. And this was going to happen a little later on. I mean, if you turn over into Acts chapter 1, of course, it tells us, isn't it, that Jesus tells them that they were going to be witnesses for him there in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This was what was going to happen. The Spirit of God was going to come and empower them. And the church from that minority group of 120 in that upper room was suddenly to receive such power that the, the mission of the church was going to extend throughout all the world until the time in which Jesus comes. But at this particular time, and you have to put yourself in their shoes and think of where they were at this moment of time. They're between the resurrection and the ascension. Jesus has come third time. They haven't actually met him at this particular time. They're all feeling a sense of despondency. Like those two on the road to Emmaus that we read about, isn't it? You know, that they were walking along, isn't it? They were cast down because, you know, they thought the Messiah had died and then all of a sudden Jesus appears. But this was certainly different, wasn't it? Because Jesus had appeared to them twice before. But yet for all of that, here they were gathered together. And it says like this, that Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. You know, why was he going fishing? Well, he was going fishing because he was a fisherman. It was almost as if, you know, that three years that had gone by had suddenly come to an end in that sudden impact of Jesus being crucified at Calvary and then of course this encounter with Jesus after the resurrection and then he, he doesn't know where he is what he's doing he's so imbalanced in the way in which he's thinking his old thought patterns he's in a quandary as to what am I what am I supposed to be doing now yeah I, I know I know what fishing's all about I'm, I'm going to go back to that and so he said I'm going fishing and all the others say I'm going with you as well there's James and John there, of course, the sons of Zebedee. They were partners with him previously. And uh, they said, we go fishing with you. You're a fisherman. Well, it was a natural thing to do, wasn't it? You know? I don't know if it was probably natural for them to go fishing in the night as well, but I wouldn't have fancied it anyway. And, uh, and that's what they embark upon, isn't it? They were just going to go out now into this situation, and they were going to be fishing. 
You see, what had happened to the Apostle Peter? Because he had denied Jesus three times, his whole situation was rocked. You know, he was in such a state, in such a condition of heart and mind. This was an unresolved position and situation at this particular time. You know, and meeting with Jesus on the two previous occasions, that that situation and his relationship to the Lord and his feeling about it, where does he stand now in his relationship to Christ? He had denied the Lord, but it hadn't been actually dealt with. And this in his consciousness, isn't it? It is an awareness he was feeling within himself, you know, that this was an unresolved issue. He hadn't quite come to terms with it. He was grappling with it himself in his own consciousness. Where was he in his relationship with the Lord now? You know, and this is what the problem is. This is his dilemma at this particular time. He is struggling in himself. He has got this problem that's weighing down upon him. You could say like this, that here was a man who was heartbroken because he had denied the Lord. Do you remember that occasion where Luke mentions it, that um, you know, Jesus had said to Simon Peter, you remember, that before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And Peter says, though all men you know, should deny you, yet will I not. And, you know, it's, it's again a really important point, isn't it, that when the cock crowed, it tells us like this, the leak tells us that Jesus looked at Peter. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt at that particular point in time? He had denied Jesus three times, and the third time as he denied it, immediately the cock crowed. And suddenly it all comes back to him. And Jesus looks him eye to eye. How did he feel? It tells us that he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. The realization was dawning upon him that he had denied his Lord. He had denied Jesus after saying that if everybody denied you, I won't. And yet he had. And he says that he wept bitterly. This hard man who was a sailor, you know, was a fisherman, knew what he was, you know, he was a tough man. He wasn't, you know, some wimp. And he says he wept bitterly. Such was the impact it has upon his heart and upon his own soul. This was the condition in which we are finding the apostle at this particular time. That even when Jesus has appeared to them on two separate occasions previously, he must have rejoiced that Jesus was alive. But still, there was this unresolved problem and dilemma and this issue that was burning in his soul at that particular time. And the issue, of course, was this awful sense of guilt. The guilt that he had denied his Lord. His own failure, what he had done, that he had capitulated at that last moment, as it were, and denied him three times. And he was filled with remorse, and he was filled with guilt, and he was filled with shame. And he didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't know how to look Jesus in the eye. Because of that sense of guilt. And so this is why he's struggling at this particular time. 
He doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing, where he's supposed to be going. But it is this very purpose of which Jesus came, isn't it? The great physician, what does it tell us about him? That he has come to heal the brokenhearted. And who was more brokenhearted than the Apostle Peter at this time? But yet Jesus was coming. Doesn't seem to indicate in the opening part of the chapter that it was all to do with coming to meet with Peter. But there was something certain about it that Jesus was going to meet with him and deal with him in such a way that this man was going to experience that back into the very presence of Christ, that consciousness and that awareness that his soul was now right with his Lord. And that's where all Christians need to come to, isn't it? That each one of us knows that we are in that position. And sometimes when we fail the Lord, isn't it? And we can feel a sense of guilt and shame and embarrassment. You know, sometimes we feel as if to avoid the Lord, we don't turn to him in prayer. We don't read his word. We don't consider him. Why? Because we feel this overwhelming burden laid upon our shoulders, as it were, that we have failed him who loved us and gave himself for us. And yet for all of that, here is Jesus, the most sympathetic of all people, that he would come to deal with this man. He was going to come and deal with him at this particular time. But the events, isn't it, that transpire, and how Jesus, as it were, reveals himself to these disciples, and especially Peter at this particular time. And one of the wonderful things uh, about Peter, isn't it, and uh, I love this about Peter, that he wasn't, you know, enthusiastic, wasn't he? He was so zealous. I mean, it, it, in many ways, this is what always got him into trouble. You know, the fact that he was in this state of heart and mind, isn't it? You know, even in this particular chapter, in verse 21, for example, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? You know, John had questioned Jesus at this particular time, you know, and then Peter looks at John and he says, well, what about this man? And Jesus says, don't worry about this man, man. Get on with it yourself, he says. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. You know, your motivation, the principle of your life, isn't to be concerned about this one, what's he going to do, and what's he's going to happen to him in his life. But you follow me, he says. But he was so outspoken, wasn't he? But this is what's so wonderful about Peter, isn't it? You know, when, you know this has got him into trouble to begin with, isn't it? You know, though all men... You know, to deny you, yet will I not deny you. You know, this is, this is typical Peter, isn't it? But yet here you get him, isn't it? You see how he feels for the Lord at this particular time. What happens? Well, in the opening verses there, you see the events, don't you? They go out fishing. They've been there all night. It's like working a night shift, not getting paid, isn't it? They hadn't caught anything. You know, I don't know if... You know what it's like to work and not get paid isn't a very good thing, is it? And these only got paid by the fish they sold. And they had gone out and caught nothing and they'd come back. And it must have been a tiring and exhausting night. And yet Jesus is there. He's on the seashore. And he says to them, children, have you any food? 
And they answered him, no. You know, is that a, an abrupt no? You know, no, we haven't. You know, or is it just a casual no? I'm not quite sure. It's hard to feel the sense sometimes, isn't it? But the whole point is this, isn't it? That Jesus calls them children to begin with. Jesus speaks to them at this level, isn't it? And then he says to them in verse 6, is it cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now how reminiscent was this of what happens back in Luke chapter 5? In Luke chapter 5 you get the story of Jesus only with his disciples and they'd been fishing again, hadn't caught anything and they come to the shore and Jesus gets into the boat and he says, cast out. And so they cast out and he says, cast your net. And they cast their net then all of a sudden they bring all these fish in. And this is what's reminiscent of this event. This is what's about to happen. It's almost like a reflection. You know, a deja vu situation, isn't it? Back there, you know, Jesus did this. And do you remember what happened after that event? When they caught all these fish, Peter comes before him, bows before him, and he says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a man. I am a, I am a sinner. Jesus looks upon him, doesn't he? He's very sympathetic towards Peter. You know, here was this man who came to realize who Jesus is. And what does Jesus say? He says, follow me. And he tells us like this, that when they brought their boat to the shore, that they got out of the boat and they followed Jesus. It's almost as if their former life was behind them now and they started to follow Jesus. This was Jesus calling these particular men to service and to apostleship, to preach the word of God. And here they followed him. And again, this was so reminiscent of it, isn't it? Cast your net on the right side and see what happens. Well, so they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Whoa, all of a sudden, hang on a second, we've done this before. John tells us, therefore, this disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt at this particular time? You know, suddenly confronted with reality. Here was Jesus speaking to them. They didn't recognize him initially, but all of a sudden when Jesus was speaking and this event that would transpired, suddenly it dawned upon them. It dawned upon the mind of the Apostle John and he realizes this is the Lord. And he says this to Peter. Now, Peter's reaction and the reaction of all the others is completely different. And the reason why it's different is because of Peter's state of heart and mind. Did he love the Lord? Of course he loved the Lord. This was his old dilemma. This was his old problem. The fact that he had failed the person whom he loved most. And this was his problem. And then what does he do? Oh, forget the fish, he says. Yeah. I could do without the fish, but oh, to have the Lord. Yeah? It's a lovely picture, isn't it? It says, now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Whoa, here's enthusiasm, isn't it? You know? Here's zeal. You know, almost thoughtless and regardless of everything else, you know? It was the Lord that he was concerned about. 
Let's get to the Lord. Let's get to him. Let's be with him. Let me go and see him. <coughs> and here was the motivation, isn't it? He just jumps into the sea, regardless of everything else. And he comes to the Lord, doesn't he? And what does it tell us about the others? But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net to the fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire and coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus didn't need their fish really, did he? He already had the fish there. He already made breakfast. He was there waiting for them to come. He was waiting for their arrival. He knew they were going to come back without any fish. But the difference with Peter. And then it says, Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And then Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land. Can you imagine this guy? You know, he must have been a very strong, sturdy Large fish, 153. And the man net was not broken. And then Jesus says to him, come and eat breakfast. Well, the whole point is this, isn't it? What you can see in Peter is this dynamic, this love dynamic for Jesus. You know? He was unconstrained. You know? He couldn't be, as it were, held back at this point in time. And so he comes he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to deal with Jesus at this moment of time. He wants to be in the presence of Jesus. He wants to feel that Jesus is with him. He wants that reunion to take place again. He wants that comfort and consolation of being just in the very presence. And this is what happens. He comes to Jesus at this particular time. And his enthusiasm and his zeal you know, it's hard to think, isn't it, of Christians who don't have enthusiasm and zeal. You know, it's almost an inconsistency. How could you be a follower of Jesus and not have any zeal or enthusiasm? Why could you just take it and leave it, you know, uh, yeah, just have it now and again, you know. When it suits me, you know, I'll do my bit, like, go to church, you know, support the work, you know. But no outright enthusiasm. You know, a compassion where there is a zeal burning in your very soul. That when you even think about who Jesus is and realize what God has done for you in Christ, there is that zeal, that fire burning within you. And isn't this a reflection of what Jesus was like? You know, when he went into the temple, isn't it? He casts out the money changes and things like this. And he says, the zeal of, the, of your house has eaten me up. It's an all-consuming passion. It's this that us through. It's this that causes us to want to follow him, to serve him, to do that which brings glory to him. It's this that you find in the Apostle Peter. With all his flaws, with all his failings, the one Peter, he was zealous for the things of God. He was zealous for Jesus at this particular time. It was this that caused him to want to be with Christ. It was this as well, the very same thing that caused the heartache of his denial of Jesus. And so when Jesus confronts them at this particular time, it's almost now from verse 15 onwards as if he isolates Peter. 
Jesus does this. He, can, he isolates us. Think of Doubting Thomas, as we call him, don't we? You know, he says, as I seal the nail prints in his hand and thrust my hand in his side, you know, I will not believe because he wasn't there on the first occasion that when Jesus comes, what does he do? He isolates Thomas. Come here, Thomas, he says. Come here, put your your hand here, boy. You know? Be not unbelieving, but believe, he says. You know? And you hear he's dealing with the Apostle Peter now. The thing is that he's going to enter into the very heart and soul of this man in order that he might deal with the inner turmoil that he is going through. And I don't know if you've experienced this, you know, you've had inner turmoil and uh, you go to the Lord because like David of old, my sin is ever before me and I'm sure that every encounter that Peter had with Jesus, what would have come back to his mind the moment he saw Jesus, my sin is ever before me, oh, that I deny it, my Savior. And what does he assume? Jesus says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Well, that's a direct question, whoever it was, wasn't it? Do you love me? But not only do you love me, but do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know what this is happening? You know what's happening here, don't you? This is the probe has been pushed in, and Jesus is pushing it deeper and deeper into his very soul. This was something that was searching the very heart and soul of this man at this particular time. And you can see this in the third time, isn't it? But it says like this, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? You can see each time that Jesus asked the question, it was entering deeper and deeper and deeper into his soul. And he says, well, If you love me, feed my sheep, he says. But Peter says, doesn't he? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He was coming back to this, wasn't he? Even though I failed you. Even though I denied you. Even though at that particular time I'm crippled by this sense of guilt and shame because of what I've done, the one true aspect of my whole soul and being is that, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Even with all my failings, even with all my faults, at the very heart of it, I love you. You know it, Lord. You know that I love you. And so Jesus is probing in deep, deeper and deeper. And so here is the man who is going to come back into this state and into this condition whereby he was going to be fully restored. His conscience was going to be cleared. His heart was going to be at rest. 
He was going to feel that Jesus had dealt with him in such a way that he was now fully restored and he was there in this situation whereby he would continue to follow the Lord. But Jesus was again approving of him, wasn't he? Approving of him to continue in his ministry, to continue as an apostle. He wasn't going to cast him to one side and say to him, oh, you failed me, therefore, you know, you had your chance, that's your your lot. But such is the nature of Jesus, isn't it? That he is sympathetic to us. He understands our situation. He understands our weakness. He understands our frailty. He knows that we are a man with clay feet. He knows that we have this weakness within ourselves. That even though we can have such an exalted view of ourselves, sometimes there are such things that happen to us that can cripple us. And when they cripple us, what do we need to do? We need to come back to the healer of souls. We need to come back to the great physician. We need to come back and have that palm of Gilead applied to our souls so that we ourselves are restored back, so that we ourselves know that we still love the Lord. Go as far as to deny him, and we can be restored. We can do all kinds of things, and yet... Restoration is available to us. You know, was he going to deny the Lord? You know, remember Jesus saying, you know, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Yet he says, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. You know, you was a man under fire. But Jesus said, look, even though the enemy comes to sift your soul, Yet he says, I have prayed for you. What would happen to Peter? Verse 18, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, this is a reference as we see in verse 19 because there's an interpretation there. It says, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. He was telling of Peter's death. He was telling about what was going to happen to him. He had denied Jesus three times. And yet for all of that, what you've got here is, you've got this situation... But Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be faithful unto death. And history teaches us that the Apostle Peter died for Jesus, was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the right way up because he thought he wasn't worthy of it. Now, this is what we are told in history. But the whole point is this, isn't it? They were going to take him. And carry him where he didn't want to go. But Jesus says, this is the way in which you're going to glorify God. He's going to glorify God in his death. He will glorify God in his life. And Jesus was saying, no matter what is before you, you have to bear your cross, you have to carry your cross, even though it leads it to death. So he says, follow me. And the only way in which we can follow him, isn't it, is by loving him. Do you remember Peter when he was writing to the churches of Asia Minor? He says, Whom having not seen, you love. You've never seen him. And we've never seen Jesus. 
but whom having not seen you love. It's a strange thing, isn't it? How can you love somebody you haven't seen? But we have a wonderful relationship with him. A love relationship, one that has bound us to Christ, one that has brought us into a relationship with him, whereby we know him. Whom to know is life eternal. We know him. And because we know him and we love him, we follow him, we are those who are conscious that we are in that right relationship with God and with Christ. And all of our service is to be motivated and stirred within us by this zealous love that we have, this compassion, this desire to serve the Lord, no matter in what capacity we serve him. But for you and I, isn't it, our responsibility is to follow him. This is what Jesus says, verse 20, isn't it? Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And then Jesus, almost as it were, rebukes him, doesn't he, in verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't worry about others. Get on with your own life. Follow me. Be zealous. Be enthusiastic. And we should love the Lord like that, shouldn't we? But you know, the wonderful thing about this chapter is that the great emphasis is upon the restoration of the Apostle Peter and the fact that we see the very heart and soul of Christ himself, isn't it, coming to embrace this man and to deal with him in such a way that he wants to restore him restore him in his heart, in his mind, in his consciousness, in his conscience, to remove that guilt that was weighing so heavily upon him. And now having restored him, isn't it? He reinstates him back into that position that he would become the great Apostle Peter. Well, isn't it a wonderful thing to realize that we have a Savior like that and one who knows our weaknesses and our failings, and yet one who comes to us time and time again to heal our souls, to restore our souls, to bring us back into that wonderful relationship with him, and we know what it is to enjoy his peace and his forgiveness. 